0: Guys, I'm looking forward to this episode with Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources, and we're going to do a 2019 elk season recap for Chris. I know he had some hunting in Colorado and then finished up in Arizona, and I think he even went back to Colorado for a day or two to try and fill his own tag. Uh, Before we get to that, I want to thank you guys for listening and giving full support to this podcast Uh, I also want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. My friend Cody Nelson is the optics manager there. Uh, You can reach him with any optical needs at all, binos, spotting scopes, tripods, uh, uh, range-finding binoculars, tripods, anything to do with glassing. If you have glassing questions, just give Cody a call, 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also send him an email direct at optics at gohunt.com. They've been a great sponsor of mine. If you guys have any optical needs, you want to buy binos or spotting scopes, just give Cody a call. Tell him that Jay Scott sent you, and he's going to take care of you. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, Kuyu is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. Uh, You can go to my Instagram page and see... I do uh, question and answers, and I handle a lot of stuff uh, coming from you guys having questions about Kuyu. Uh, you can also go to Kuyu.com, that's K-U-I-U.com, to find out more. Thank them for their sponsorship. Also, Phonescope.com, use the J. Scott 19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. That is the Digiscoping adapter that I use with my iPhone X. I use the adapter on my 15s as well as my spotting scope, and I capture all the video and photos that you see on my Instagram page uh, with the phone scope adapter. Use the JSCOTT19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. And then onxmaps.com. Go to onxmaps.com, sign up for the uh, phone app, uh, and you're going to get a 20% discount when you use the JSCOT19 promo code. Now, if you don't get prompted for the JSCOT19 promo code, they will send you an email and just enter JSCOT19, and that's going to save you 20%. Uh, I use OnX Maps uh, every day for hunting, fishing, and my real estate business. I love the feature that you can go back and forth from topo to aerial to hybrid, I love the fact that you can use the tracking or the breadcrumb feature that you can track yourself in and out. I like to be able to import and export maps in Google Earth. I also like to use the Onyx desktop portion. Uh, You guys can sign up for one state or 50 states. Uh, Save 20% by using the JSCOT19 promo code. All right, guys, uh, let's get right to this episode with Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. And again, thanks for all of the loyal support of this podcast. Uh, If you would like to reach out to me, you can send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram. I love fielding your questions. I love seeing the success of the animals that you uh, guys have harvested. And uh, if you have anything you want to discuss, uh, just send me a message. I'm happy to uh, talk with you about it. So let's get right to it. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Today we have Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. We've got him fresh off of elk season. He just arrived back in Kansas after spending some time in Colorado and Arizona. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, my friend. How are you? Oh, good. Can you still hear some bugles in your sleep? Uh,
1: I, yeah, well, I would like to. Uh, unfortunately I had to leave I left Arizona a little early Colorado was uh, Colorado was a little tough I didn't hear many bugles in Colorado like probably can count on one hand but Arizona was just absolutely I mean literally un, unreal just un unreal like back in the days when you know I first went down there you know and met you and I mean it was oh my goodness so yeah, well, that's good.
0: Yeah, yeah um, awesome. Why don't we start at the beginning and talk uh, a little bit about Colorado, and then we can talk about Arizona. So I'll let you have the floor. Yeah, well, <laughs> and I said just when I called,
1: you may have got me in a good uh, in a good state of mind. Today was one of those days where, you know, you ever start a day and you have a plan, and you think, man, this is a good plan. And then and then the day looks at you and laughs and says, "Oh no, I, I have a plan." And so yeah. you're like, "Well, but I have my plan, and we're going to do my plan." And then the day just laughs at you again and says, "Oh no, you're going to do my plan." And then and then you play with the with your plan all day today. So yeah, so Colorado, the the funny part about that one is, well, the frustrating, and I I don't even know how to frame it because I didn't even wrap my head around it. Um, so. For those that are familiar and have kept up with these past couple years, all right, I have family that, so my mom's side of the family is very large. Her youngest brother, which is my uncle, is only three years older than I am. So we grew up more like best friends. Well, fast forward, he gets married, has kids. One of his sons, Abe, is an absolute avid hunter. And he's good. I mean Abe's Abe's a legit killer. He's a he's a good hunter. But he's you know, so three years ago he was fourteen? Fourteen? I think that's what it was. So Colorado affords non resident youth hunters a one hundred dollar elk. I mean you can't be, I mean, normal non-resident elk tag is going to run you 680 to 700 bucks, somewhere around there. So I told Dave and Tom, I said, you know, for these next several years, while he's still eligible for a, a cheap elk tag, we just need to exploit that and just have him, you know, have you guys come out and we'll elk hunt and take advantage of a $100 elk. Well, because they are from upstate New York and they you know, flatlanders, I'm like, heck, I'm a flatlander anymore. I, decide, I choose to go to a couple areas that are a little bit easier, a little bit lower elevation, a little bit easier on them to hike in. And, and it just from a logistic standpoint, it's just a little easier. Well, I don't I don't even know how to wrap. I mean, like I said, I don't even know how to wrap my head around it other than to say, apparently, no, it's not apparent. It's not apparent. I mean, just flat out the fact that there's a bunch of people that have figured out where I hunt. And I heard it numerous times and unsolicited several different groups told Tom this, point blank, and literally, quote, Well, we normally hunt over in such and such an area, but, you know, we figured we'd come over and check this out because we heard Chris Rowe hunts here, and so, you know, we figured it must be pretty good. I mean, nice. the number... Oh, dude. The number of... You're a of,
0: celebrity. What can we say?
1: Yeah, well, geez, oh, Pete. There's, I, I'll tell you, I do enjoy teaching. I do enjoy talking to folks and sharing all that stuff. But, man, there are some times when being anonymous is really, really nice. I I mean, I. there was... Opening week, it fluctuated between 15 and 30 different vehicles at the trailhead. Um, everybody piling in, going up the same valleys and drainages um, and it's not only the and it was not only the people that left their normal area. I mean, literally I'm sitting there listening to and I feel bad for them and, and, and I know for a fact there are going to be people that w- that were at this spot. there are people listening right now that I'm talking about you. And I'm I'm not talking, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be rude or, or I just feel bad that you burned that time because some people drove several hours away from where they normally hunt. And I, what you didn't realize is I was in my truck and I was listening. You didn't even realize I was there, but I'm, I'm in my truck listening to people talk and I'm going, okay, you just said you left such and such an area. I know that area. I hunt that area. That area's got good elk. It's just an area that probably Tom and Abe are not going to be able to function well uh, and hike and and perform as well. So that's the only reason why we didn't go there. But the area you just left is a good area. And it's an area I know. And I know how to perform there. And there's elk there. You can do well there. But you left there. And you even said that there was less people there. There Like, we were getting to elk. And there's hardly anybody there, but we came over here. I'm like, oh my gosh! So you just left elk, and you left low intensity, low hunter pressure to come over here, where there's there's stupid hunter pressure, and all the elk have just now gotten bumped and pushed out into either uh, different private lands, or they've been there, or, or now what was actually the case in, the, in a couple of spots is. They just, you just, they just pushed them into the just nastiest, just brutal country that nobody wants to go into or can go into. And the Elk were silent. They, I mean, I just sat there I'm like, man, you just wasted three, four, five days chasing a rabbit hole that you didn't need to chase. And the only reason why you, th- I mean, you, I heard the people say, well, it must, because Chris Hans here, it must be good. No, I, I, there's a ver- I hunt in places in north central Colorado. I hunt places in central Colorado, White River uh, National Forest, and I hunt several places in south central Colorado. And I choose the areas dependent on either who I'm hunting with or, or the experience that I want for that particular year. And there's reasons why this past couple of years I was down in this particular area. And largely, one, it's because Tom and Abe needed a little bit of an easier spot. And B, I've got a lot of sentimental value to the, the place. It's one of the places where I started elk hunting way, way back when, and so I just enjoyed walking up some of the old drainages and, and some of the old valleys. And I'm like, it's just cool. And I just, man. But there was, a, and not only did people leave their areas to come here to come there to hunt, but now there's a guy, and I couldn't. I just sat there dumbfounded. There's a guy. Parks at the trailhead in a fifth wheel camper, and he's the type of guy that as soon as anybody pulls into the parking lot, he's out of his camper, and he's going over and talking to him. Oh, what are you doing? What are you seeing? Where are you going? Are you elk hunting? Are you deer hunting? What do you? I mean, he's just talk, 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 talk. He's a nice guy, and so he just, he just, he just tries to pull as much information out of that hunter as possible, and he starts to share information with that hunter as well. The thing that people didn't realize is it's every single time. So if you have Hunter A, Hunter B, and Hunter C, Hunter A pulls into the parking lot. I sat and watched it. And I'm like, oh my word. Hunter A pulls into the parking lot. Hunter A pulls in the parking lot. He's out of his camper. Whoop, over. He's talking about it. elk hunting, deer hunt, blah, blah, blah. What are you doing? Okay. So the guy, Hunter A starts giving, well, we're going to go up here, we're going to hunt here, and yeah, I wanna, okay, all right, cool, go. Yeah, well, and then he just commences to say, well, there was a bull bugling up there, and then some somebody went up here, and they got an elk over here, and they, he's the guy that wants to have all the information and be the most important person on the mountain. But all the information that Hunter A just gave him when Hunter B rolls in the parking lot whoop, out of the Camp Recon, Now he's talking to Hunter B. And every ounce of information that Hunter A just told him, he now relates to Hunter B. (laughs) So Hunter B tells him information that Hunter B heads up the valley, whatever, back in the camper he goes. Another person, Hunter C, comes in the parking lot, out of his camper he comes. Now all the information he got from Hunter A and Hunter B now goes to Hunter C. It's, there's not a, I mean, it might as well be, I mean, there's There's not a single, if if people didn't realize the, the person they were talking to was just absolutely hemorrhaging, I mean, hemorrhaging information, there was no secret. You know, if you got into elk and you thought, man, that's awesome, I got into some elk, hopefully I can get back into some elk, and you came down to the trailhead for some reason, and you told them that, oh, everybody in that trailhead now knows exactly where you got to know and right. the funny I, I just again dumbfounded every single story at some point included the story of and I quote hey yeah, have you ever heard of Chris Rowe? you're a Chris yeah, yeah yeah Chris Rowe months here In uh, 2017, yep, right up here, he killed an elk right up, and you go up this side, you go here, go about halfway, you go up there. I mean, he had every detail. I've never talked to this guy. There's only one person in the world, literally one person, that knows where I killed that elk. And apparently, somehow he talked, you know, he said to somebody, he said to something, and now every this guy, he's a great, he's a nice guy, but he just has to be. He just has he just hemorrhages information, and at, there is not a secret in the world down there. And he's got a mind like a steel trap. So he remembers names. He remembers faces. He remembers locations. He remembers dates, He remembers whether people had such and such a backpack and whether the strap was. I mean. This guy's got a memory like a steel trap, <laughs> and he will share it with everyone.
0: Just a male, so, huh?
1: That, that first week of season was just worthless.
0: Well, so, not to mention the first week of season, I mean, I was over at the Six on private, and the, it was just slow going. I mean, it was so dry. I don't know. It's yeah. so dry at the Oticks Ranch. I don't know about where you were. They just, yep. they really didn't get bugling till about the 15th of September. Yep, exactly. No, it was dead. I mean, it was it just was tough. It was tough. It was,
1: yeah, it was dead. Now, we we ended up, I mean, so there's some places that we know that we can go and we can glass and we can find. I mean, there were some small bulls. I mean, you literally, we watched a couple different bachelor groups of, you know, young, you know, raghorns, two-and-a-half-year-old bulls sparring and carrying on and that type of stuff, but both you know Abe killed that really good bull a couple years ago last year they both got into some really good mature bulls and and almost got it done and then this year we found a couple other really nice mature bulls and so as soon as Tom so Abe is is killed an elk, and he was all I mean literally like I mean he was literally getting ready to draw his bow back last year when the wind swirled and, and blew out that really nice bull and so we decided this year you know Abe was like you know what actually It'd be cool if Dad just you know. Thomas never killed an elk, so we we're like, all right, let's, let's see if we can't get Tom an elk. And so, sure enough, we, we ended up laying eyes on a really nice mature bull. And at that point, you know, ah, okay, hunt's over. Now we're that's the bull we want. Um, just did just didn't pan out. The the day that we were able to get on him was the day that I decided, you know, we went different directions. And of course, Tom and Abe end up getting on him, start calling, just couldn't seal the deal, but it was close. So that was the bull that we wanted to hunt. From there on out, it just it just didn't happen. Yeah, and like you said, they were just absolutely quiet, except for that one morning, uh, that 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 this bull and another bull just decided to make a uh, just a blitzkrieg run right through the valley, and they were just going nuts. But we just they were just in and out, gone. Um, so yeah, it was slow. And so based on the behavior, lack of elk just stupid hunter pressure i was like you know what i'm out I'm, I'm headed to arizona early so i i ended up heading down to arizona two days early um got down there met up with with the guys that i was going to be guiding and um and i think you I, well this is a legit question did you did you actually did you ever have a rule about people coming to camp and help you know being helpers assistants you know you have a hunter but he wants to bring friends, were you the one that had
0: a rule on that or or am I thinking of someone else? Well, I definitely tried to screen that as much as possible. Um, Yeah. You know, if you've got great help, it's it's really good. If you've got help that's, you know, lazy, can't follow directions, can't find a spot in the dark, over-exaggerates, embellishes, then, you know, I try to nip that in the bud as quickly as possible. Yeah, so a couple years ago, I think we talked about,
1: I had a client that that, that ended up happening. He, he, there was a helper in camp that ended up being an absolute train wreck. Well, this year, you know, it was going to be a two-on-one guided deal, and these guys are, are, are RHR subscribers. So it was going to be, I, I knew, I was like, all right, well, that's a plus, And so we should, there, there should be a good, um, you know, there should be good dialogue. We we should have a good time from that standpoint. But then you're like, yeah, we're gonna bring several other guys. I'm like, oh, here we go. So we, I, I lined it out very early on. Like you said, just try to screen it. it. Well, long story short, it was, it was awesome. These guys were absolute under unbelievable assets. It was a fun camp. We all just meshed perfectly. Uh, it was just. Fun, funny, just just laughing. I mean, just constant laughing and just having a great time. And then the elk hunting was just incredible, dude. Tell me about it. I the thing that I think is you know again for me in an education standpoint, the thing that I that I really just latched onto this year, and it and it was while I was there. And then especially, I, I did listen to your podcast with Steve. Um, the unbelievable difference, and I don't think people appreciate this, and, I, and, and and remind me to segue to remember when I texted you and I asked you if the odd six was still rocking or if it shut down briefly, okay, because right. that's going to come up, remind me to touch on that because it's important. Um, I don't think people understand and really appreciate how much difference there can be across a single unit from elk, in elk behavior from just one area to another. So there are in, in unit nine, obviously people put in for unit nine because they want a giant bull or at least an option at a giant bull or having some you know good bugling action in these past years. Giant Bulls have been tough to come by just because of weather and, and you know, late-season tags, there are a whole host of things that you have already talked about before, okay? Well, this year, if there was ever a year to draw that tag, it was this year. Not only because of the way the last year, you know, last fall had good forage production. It had, a you know, a wet winter, a good spring green up, but the fall before, both late-season hunts apparently were just just miserable as far as hardly anybody filled the tag. It just was difficult right. because the elk weren't there. So we had a bunch of bulls survive and gain an age, you know, gain one more year under their belt. So they're, a little, they're going to have a little bit better potential. And then the environmental conditions basically ensured that they were going to reach pretty much almost 100% of their max genetic potential. So it was... It was, it was a great year to have the tag. But there are some people that say, or that, you know, they, they see the pictures, you know, from the outfitters or whatever of a 380, 390, 400-inch bull, and they're like, that's what I want. Okay, if you want a 380, 390, 400-inch plus bull, those only represent, and I think talking with the other guys this year, I think it was like 1.2 Six or 1.8 percent of the bulls met that criteria from the from the game camera surveys they were doing. So people need to understand if you, if you want to go after that caliber of bull, okay, you're you're looking for a needle in a haystack. Yes, it's there; so it could be there somewhere, but they live in particular areas, and you might not have a quote unquote sexy hunt. You may be into some, you know, in that low country sagebrush country, to where you're just sitting water. You're it's a completely Potentially, completely different hunt experience versus, like my guys. This was their well, they were brand new elk hunters. They'd you know they'd been put in for a while. They've they've been on one other elk hunt, so they were newbies. I mean, just flat newbies. My guy that killed his bull—that's the first elk he's ever killed, and that's literally the first animal he's ever killed with a bow. That's how new they were, and so that's awesome. Oh, yeah, I mean, three mid-350s, you know, pushing 360 class, but yeah, that'll work. So, um, but the the relevant point behind that is when we talked originally, you know, they just wanted, they, they're not looking for a giant, they just, let's go find the biggest bull we can, but we want to learn as much as possible. That was the whole point behind them getting a hold of, you know, and trying to book me because they were like, this is our opportunity to go around the mountain with Chris Rowe and learn everything that we've seen on the elk module in person. And I was like, absolutely, right on. So that's what I told him. I said, okay, if that's the case, then we are going to focus on those areas where we are going to ha- hopefully, hopefully maximize our encounters. Now, it may not be with the, the 400-inch bull, but it, hopefully we're going to maximize our encounters with those 340, 350, maybe 360 bulls. And, and at that point, they were. if it had been a really pretty 330 bull, they would have probably put it on the ground. And quite honestly, as the hunt progressed, I mean, heck, we had a beautiful six-by-six six that was probably a 300, maybe a 310 bull, and Lowell, yeah, he, he put an effort on that one to try. I mean, he, they just wanted a fun hunt. So we focused on the areas in the pines because what I found was it seemed like the, the forage was better in the pines. And the water was a little better in the pines. And I knew there's a lot of guys that don't like hunting the pines, the big pines. Because it can be difficult, because how open it is. Brother. Oh, my. I mean, oh, my goodness. Now, I'll say that. I know for a fact, and I've heard you talk to outfitters, and you'll hear, you know, on your other podcasts, and you'll hear, you you know, you'll talk to, you know, these outfitters, and they're like, well, we were into bulls every day. And you're like, yeah, sure you were, buddy. You know, you just kind of, you're like, no, okay, whatever. Dude, we were in, and when I say we were into, I mean, we, they were like within inches of eating an arrow multiple screaming bulls every single time we went out. We literally, you know, and Steve talked about it a little bit, you know, okay, where's the water? Okay. Where's the good grass? Okay. Which way is the wind direction blowing? Okay, it's blowing that way. Okay. You know, you kind of give, okay, this is where we think they're going to be betting. All right, let's go ahead. We'll go down. We'll park here. Let's go ahead and get ourselves in here. Let's just stay here and see what happens. And, oh, geez, I mean, you, you get yourself. I mean, in the morning, literally, we'd sit there and be like, all right, let's just, you know, brainstorm where we're going to be. We literally pull in, pull up, turn the truck off. I mean, literally, we had to sit in the truck a couple times. We were like, well, uh, let's let him walk away a little bit before we actually try to chase him. I mean, it was insane. And when we did get on a bull. The problem was it wasn't one bull. It wasn't like we were like, oh, here's a herd bull, and he's got a couple cows, let's go after him. No. It was like, oh, here's a herd bull, he's got a couple. Oh, crap, there's another one. Oh, shoot, there's an, okay, we've got three. Uh, oh, crap, their cows are, ah, uh, dang it, here come their cows, and all the cows are coming together. Now it's one of what you call that meatball. It's just an absolute scream fest while the different bulls, are trying to keep their cows separate. The cows are wanting to come in. They're getting downwind. You know, we're trying to juggle the wind. It, it became chaos. It was awesome, dude. It was so much fun. We had, we I called in a number of, of just, I mean, good, healthy, mature bulls well above that 350 range that, you know, just we had a couple misses before. We had three misses, uh, missed shots before we finally got the bull that that bobby got i mean that was just i mean perfect 20 22 yard broadside just 12 i mean he 12 ringed it but it was one of those things where the shot you know it's anyway it it was did you get some good video i think the video well the funny part is the video of his hunt i think is going to be pretty good uh the problem was what he perceived and i perceived was, uh, as Effie, and you know this from video and yourself, what you watch on the ground in real time does not necessarily match with what your video shows you. You know what I mean? Sometimes you right. perceive things a little bit off. And so when he made that shot, um, the way the ball spun and the way the arrow came out, in my perception, it looked like the arrow came out way far back. Maybe out of the you know the pond here, I'm like oh no. And when the bull ran off, Bobby was able to see that this bull had a his back end wasn't working, and he had a major limp on his right rear side. And Bobby's perception was, oh no, how did I how did I either gut shoot this animal or how did I how did I hit him in the 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 flank you know the the rear leg? I mean we were just both just our minds were just like this just did not happen. We just had three misses, okay. And now we have this. This is just not happening. So we took our sweet time making sure everything was going to be done right. And long story short, we we finally start following the blood. And we, I think we walked like 20 steps, and we look up. i like, Oh, no, you're you're, you're bull's laying right there. No, he 12, he he heart shot 12 ring that thing perfectly. And what I saw, I don't know. The arrow came out, and it just looked like it was far back, but it wasn't. And the reason why the bull was limping, what that Bobby saw when the bull spun, he went through a deadfall. He literally broke the lower portion of his leg. That hard cannon bone. Wow. He snapped. He snapped that thing clean in half. So he had. He only had three legs going. So. Wow. It was. It was insane. So Bobby did he twelve ring that thing just as pretty as you please um we got you know, all the guys and luckily it was funny one of the one of the few areas where we had cell reception so that he was able to to get a hold of the other guys all the other guys came in with their packs we were only three quarters of a mile from the road and i mean we had that thing quartered up cut up in bag packed up and everybody just, out we go and i mean it was it was wham bam thank you ma'am done um then we went back out and and they got on a about a 370 Plus bull, that just, dude, um, it, it was it was incredible, it was incredible.
0: But how was the that, first that, part of the hunt with the full moon for you? Were they were they going nuts the whole time, or did they slow up at the beginning, or how was it? It was wide open the entire time,
1: and I think for nuts, it, it was it was for us, it was wide open the entire time. But I think that's only because we chose those areas that had a higher density of elk. And if you look, you know, and again, and that's where I, I think we can segue to what I asked you before. Uh, we had every day from the day one right on through, it was just wide open. However, all of a sudden, that one, we had one day where it just, it was, I mean, literally the night before, it was just an absolute screen fest. We had a, we had a shot opportunity shot and just went low. Uh, they were just going nuts. The three different, there were three, four. I think maybe there was there was at least three. There might have been four. Um, these bulls are going nuts. Now it's dark. The bull he shot at really had no clue that he was even shot at because he just went over and started messing around with the other bulls and just, you know raking a tree and everything else. So it gets dark, and I'm like, just let's get the heck out of here before they wind us, and, and we'll just save this. We'll come back in the morning. Well, that's when we had that weather system come through, a little bit of weather system come through the next morning, the entire landscape was just crickets. I mean, dead. I mean, there weren't birds flying. There weren't squirrels running around. And we were up on a, on a, a ridge top where we could hear, I mean, a mile or more in any direction. And there was bulls bugle in the night before all over the place, not a peep. And my buddy, so it was dead right there. The next day, my buddy who guides for Vermejo Park Ranch, if anybody knows Vermejo Park, it's a gargantuan Ted Turner Ranch. Their their elk population is just insane as far as, you know, bull to cow ratio, and then the age class. He was having the same thing, where it was just non-stop bugle fest, and then all of a sudden, the day after we had that dead spot, he has a dead... All of a sudden, Vermejo Park just shuts down. It's good. It went from Scream Fest two crickets. You couldn't buy enough. And that's when I texted you. I'm like, hey, what's going on at Ox 6? You said it was still going and still cranking. Well, I think whether you're talking about in one particular unit, the two things that people really need to pay attention to is you can have markedly different experience depending on where you are in that unit. We had absolute screen fest every single outing for every day of our hunt, whereas Steve was saying, well, you know, they were getting bugles, you know, that hour, hour and a half in the morning, and then maybe an hour or so in the evening, but he was hunting a different area in the unit. And then we had our friends that, you know, some of the other outfitters that were, and and even some of the guys, you know, John and and Josiah, they were chasing giants. And so if you're out on the far east or the far west or you're out in the flats and the sagebrush, they weren't getting bugles at all. It was just dead. So, depending on where you go and what and, and where you spend your time in your unit, I don't care if you're Arizona or if you're in Colorado in the mountains, you could have absolutely markedly different uh, experiences just based on where all the elk? Are. And then the other one is, you know, people were getting frustrated that, well, we're not hearing any elk. Well, don't... And, and again, I... I listened to these guys that said, well, we normally hunt over here, but we decided to come over here and check this out because, you know, Chris Rohan. You may be leaving elk that are not talking simply because you have a weather system coming through that the barometric pressure just has them shut down.
0: They like consistency. They're like turkeys. They're gobbling like crazy and you get an inconsistent weather pattern and all of a sudden, I find that Yes. Gobbling turkeys and bugling bull elk-like consistency. Whatever that may be, It's they just like it to be the same.
1: Yes. And all of a sudden, something comes through, and it will literally shut it down. The elk right. are standing right there. They are standing right there. They're bedding in the same spot. They're getting water in the same spot. They're eating in the same spot, and they aren't moving. And they ain't saying nothing. It's not because they're not there. It's because the weather system that moved through has just got them shut down. That's where you're going to have to give it a bit. Sit and stay and go, okay, I know that there's elk here. I'm seeing the tra- their tracks are right there. The droppings are right there. The swallow looks like something was getting water in. Okay, if the sign is there, the elk are there. But if it's just shut down, just understand there's probably a reason why it's shut down, and just give it a minute. You know, give it a day or two or three. I, I remember, you know, was it last year or the year before in Unit Nine? I actually have a video of this on the Oak Module. I'm stand, so Unit Nine. for those people who don't realize it is on the south border of the Grand Canyon National Park, and the habitat from where people are hunting into the park, doesn't change. There's just a a five-strand barbed wire fence. That's it. That's the only difference. And the elk get pushed, you know, from the hunter pressure, the elk will absolutely get pushed into the park. And most of the time, in the park, it's like Estes Park or it's like Yellowstone. They're going nuts because they're not getting pressured and all the elk get stacked in there. Well, it's September 27th, and I'm standing on the park boundaries. And I just let the camera roll. You can't even, you can hardly hear the the wind going through the trees. It's so dead. Like, guys, September 27th, of course they want to be screaming. They should be screaming. And we're on the edge of a national park where there's a pile of elk piled in, but yet you don't hear a peep. It's crickets. You can't say, well, it's because of hunter pressure. Oh, well, the elk got pushed out. Oh, the elk moved out. (laughs) No, they're in there right there. They just are shut down because of the weather. And I think people got caught up in that this year and kind of got panicky early and just started, you know, at least in public land in Colorado, and just started running all over the place, not realizing they just needed to give a little bit and let things unfold, you know? I know it was, it was, it was a fun season in Arizona. I, you know, we got done with that hunt. They only had me for nine days. Uh, and then, so I, when we, when I was done, they were, you know, they had to say goodbye. And so I decided to head back to Colorado, uh, went back to a couple spots to check it out. Hunter pressure again was just ridiculous. So this was my mistake. I decided, you know, I've got so much stuff that I've got to do here in Kansas to get ready for some of the deer hunts. I'm like, you know what? screw it, I'm done, it was a good season, I had, you know, I ended up having a couple chances, but it didn't work out, I'm headed home, literally, here we go, okay, it was crickets, I couldn't, there was no elk bugling, nothing going on, hunter pressure was high, so I was like, I'm out, I leave, the next day, a buddy of mine, his son, goes into one of the areas where I just was, nope, weather system pushed out, Three new bulls dropped in, and, I mean, it was wide open. He ends up killing a just gourd, probably, I'm guessing, probably a five- or six-year-old uh, mature bull, just probably six, you know, I'm guessing six-year-old, six-by-six, that just, just he just, he, I mean, it was just a bugle fest. He was in the right place, right time. They dropped in. The weather system moved out. They started talking, and he just smoked one. I was like, <laughs> should have waited one day, <laughs> one day. Oh, it's all right. He deserves it. He's a good kid. He's a good kid. He deserves it. So,
0: couple questions get about Unit 9. Uh, it sounds like Unit 9, I've seen years like that where it's just insane, and it's hard to take some of the rougher years where you're just like you're so used to it being so good. But um, how did the grass look throughout the unit, number one, and then how did the water, the tank situation, how was it?
1: Um, okay, but again, I will qualify. I did not venture. I stayed in the Big Pine, uh, so in the Big Pine, so I don't know what it looked like uh, anywhere else other than, um, you go down south, I mean, it seems, everybody that I talked to that was in, you know, upper basin, down south, or out west, it was just, bleh, not great, um, in the pines, unfortunately, I was not very impressed, um, one of the better grasses that are in, that, that one of the reasons why I think you I, did, it, well, that part of Arizona it does so well at producing great elk population and gray bulls. That blue grama grass is a phenomenal forage, and it holds high quality even when the grass goes dormant. I did not see a lot of good grandma grass growth. It seemed like the squirrel tail. Uh, just took off this year. That was the only stuff that I saw that was popped. Squirrel tail is okay. It's not It's not near as good as, as gram of grass, in my opinion. So, I'm a little worried about what the forage production is, uh, at least where I was. At least where I was, the forage production did not look great. Now, the water situation uh, and, I, and I think Steve nailed this one. Um, some of the bigger tanks, the bigger dirt tanks that are in the big valleys that traditionally hold a lot of water, they still had water. The smaller tanks, in the peri- dirt tanks in the periphery areas, bone dry. Trick tanks, a bunch of them, you know, a lot of trick tanks still had water. Um, but, you know, you and I both know if, if, a, if a group of elk have the choice between a trip tank and dirt, you know, a, a dirt tank, they're going to go to the dirt tank. They, they They love it from a social standpoint. So I think some of the bigger tanks will still have water for a while, but they're not going to have water for very long. So if it doesn't start raining, it's going to get, it's going to get tricky i think it's going to get tricky so it's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening um well with the muzzleloader hunt going on and then these upcoming rifle hunts or the later hunt and see what the harvest is because i have a feeling if people i think the elk are going to start piling in on water and i think if people take advantage of that they're they're uh, there's going to be a bunch of elk dying um and I don't know what the forge, because the forge it doesn't look that great. It's going to be interesting to see what happens next spring and next year as far as um, overall population and antler growth.
0: Was the antler growth compared to what you've seen in Unit Nine? Was it the best you've ever seen as far as just solid, solid bulls and extra points and kickers and what have you? That,
1: yeah, for me now. Again, I haven't been down there as long as you guys have. I mean, I, when when was it the first time that you and I was it 2012, maybe something like that. Yep. I yep. I haven't been I haven't been down there as many years as you guys, obviously. But um, you know, back in those you know 2012, 13, or whatever, I remember it was some really good bulls that year. That Monty had his tag. Um, there were there were some really great bulls running around. But yeah, you're absolutely right. As far as you know, in recent history, oh, my word. It's interesting. That see, and, and we've, I think you and I talked about this, and I know I've talked about Well, I've talked about it on one of my discussions on the oak module as far as antler production. Um, you could see where this year a lot of bulls had maybe shorter stunted fronts, but then the rest of their rack just exploded. So you could see where, you know, the forage quality going you know what they had in reserve from the winter going into spring that's what's going to give you that initial antler growth in those your, your eye guards but then, then as spring green up happens that's when the rest of the growth on the thirds and fourths and fifths and you know all that that's when that happens well that's when that moisture cycle kicked in and you guys had such an awesome green up down there i think a lot of the bulls kind of got a lackluster start on their front and then all of a sudden that green up kicked in and i mean the tops it was like every bull had you we literally started looking at fronts we're like we don't even care about the top because we know the top is going to look awesome what do his fronts look like you know if we're going to be picking but it, w- it was amazing that i mean so many bulls just had incredible top ends this year i mean just they just look beautiful. I mean, even if even a three thirty bull, you're like, "Wow, he's sexy." You know, <laughs> he just yeah. looks
0: good. Okay, I've got a question, and it's a question and a theory of mine. And I want you to hear what I'm saying, and then I want your your theory on top of mine, or your your response to my theory. So The Oth 06 Ranch this year, I would say the antler growth is average at best. Now, condition-wise, obviously, Colorado had a very, very big winter. We had cold temperatures. We had lots of snow. Uh, what I've noticed, we, obviously, we have a handful of bulls that are bigger than they were last year, but I think a lot of that is just age, and they just happen to be a little bit better. We don't really have any bulls that I would say blew up like a lot of the Arizo- my buddies in Arizona you know, bulls were at maximum capacity. Yeah. One thing that I think potentially my theory is that the Colorado bulls, and I can only speak about the odd six, is that it was, you know, cold, snowy, you know, conditions, body conditions after they dropped their antlers, going into growing their antlers. I think they were probably not in great body condition. Okay. And in my opinion, elk only have so many days to grow antlers. So if they start slow and their body is in a situation where they're trying to replenish body condition first, then once body condition is established, uh, then they can go ahead and start pouring it into the antlers. My theory is that it was cold, it was snowy, their body condition wasn't great, they only have so many days to grow their antlers. And what I noticed is a lot of main beams, like our Creed bull, his main beams seemed shorter. Uh, his fifth points were noticeably shorter. He didn't grow his extra G6. He didn't grow his extra little devil point on his eye guard, uh, you know, and 10 to 15 inches smaller this year. Now, that's one bull. Uh, a bunch of other bulls noticed, like, the top end seemed like the main beams were not as long, fifth points not as long. My theory is they entered into spring, it was cold, they weren't on green feed for a while, then throw on top of that, even though I know that most of their antlers are done, we virtually had zero monsoon or zero, you know, monsoon in Arizona, rain to kick up to Colorado and afternoon thundershowers. Right here where I spend the, the summers here in, uh, you know, Basalt, Carbondale, Aspen area, I mean, we went all summer and maybe had two or three rainstorms total. I mean, it was just not good at all. Very, very dry. And over at the Yacht 6, very, very dry. So um, do you believe my theory that they only have so many days to grow antlers and, whoop, they're done. Okay, so what gets, ha- what gets punished? The main beans, the fifth points. So th- that's what I want to know from you and your opinions. Yeah, not a theory at all. It's
1: dead on the money, and, and that I did literally that that whole discussion I put, um, you know, in August on antler development goes right down the line in the elk module. It goes right down the line. It talked about that. Yeah, so a mature bull, roughly on, you know, roughly if you ballpark it, it's got about a hundred can have a, up to about hundred and fifty days of antler growth. If I if I'm remembering correctly, I think so. That's five months, yeah. So, um, roughly about 100, for a mature bull, about 150 days. And you're absolutely right. So, you think about it, they're not going to put anything extra into their antlers unless their body condition is above, if, if, if they've got that percent body fat, you know, and they, they need to have a minimum percentage of protein in their diet in order to be able to put any extra in. Now, of course, they're going to throw something, and it's just all part of the overall growth. But what but they don't have any extra. So, yeah, if you have, you know, say you go into the fall with poor forage, okay, you don't have a lot of good high-quality feed on the landscape to start with. And then you have a cold, snowy winter, which means they have to look for food, dig through snow, push through snow for food, or they have to settle for lesser quality food going through winter. Well, each day their body condition is going, they might be able to maintain a little bit, But on average, their body is slowly deteriorating, okay, unless they've got really, really good feed and an easy winter, which that's not what you have. So their body's going to deteriorate slowly, which means when it comes time for them to start growing their antlers, they don't have much reserve to put into it. So that initial growth is going to be stunted. Now, you guys had a, a, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding was, it was a kind of a cold spring, kind of prolonged.
0: Yeah, um, even, of, here, it, even here, even here, you know, it seemed like, you know, there was snow all over the mountains and the peaks until, you know, way later than normal. Our runoff was way late. I just think it was a cold spring, and you know, from what I'm seeing on the antler growth, it's just. I mean, I, to, to be honest with you, it's it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. It's average at best, and it's probably, if I'm more realistic, it's below average. And the the, yeah. you know, last year we came off the worst drought that that area has had in 80 years, and our bulls actually looked good. My thinking is that it was basically hardly any any winter, you know, yep. the winter before last, and yep. they weren't. As in bad of condition, and they were able to pour it on right away rather than having a prolonged spring.
1: Yep. Yeah. 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 If they've got good, if they've got high, if there's, say, you had good forage production in the fall and then an easy winter, well, then they have no limiting. They've got as much food, especially if it's high quality, like gramma grass, which you guys have got down there. If you've got good, high quality forage and ample, and a lot of it, and an easy winter, well their body condition is good and, and quite honestly they can actually recover some of their body condition after the rut to where when they start growing their antlers, they're not at, as much of or at a deficit at all and then you have your quote unquote normal spring green up, well okay bam, pour that one on and literally by the time that you get into summer, they're like you said they they're already got you 80-90% know, of their growth already done, now it's just they just they just coast into home plate, so to speak, and yeah. But if you have a you know a drawn drawn out spring green up to where it's kind of lackluster and cold, and the the forage quality again, some of that green up is good, but some of those warm season grasses are better. If those warm season grasses aren't coming on to have that higher protein, no, they're just they're just not going to be able to maintain the growth rate that they can in, say, other years. That's why, you know, part of what I just talked about and what you just nailed, I'm not really, as far as antler development goes, if you don't have a monsoon, okay, that's not really what's giving you the growth. You want food in the fall, easy winter, spring green up. You want their body condition going into spring at at, at peak, Condition that's what's going to give them that boost and start throwing really awesome antler quality. So yeah, hence again, let's circle back to what I was just saying in Unit Nine, where I was. It did not seem like there was, you know, there wasn't a high amount. It wasn't not. It, I don't even think it was average. I think it was a below average. Quality forage production, which means going into this winter, if they don't move off to another area that has better forage production, if all the all the forage production in the area is piss poor, which means, okay, the, their fall forage is piss poor, which means the forage going into winter is piss poor. If all of a sudden it just doesn't get any better, they very well may have a suppressed body condition going into next spring. It'll be interesting to see what antler development and with what the winter looks like and the spring looks like. It'll be very interesting to see what antler development looks like next year. Because last year, okay, we had a drought. There were 400 inch bulls that we had, you know, that folks had on camera. They, I mean, very distinct. Markings on the animal so you know exactly what animal you're looking at. Two years ago, he's a 400-inch bull. Last year, he's 360, maybe 370. So he's lost 30 to 40 inches of growth simply because of the the, the just piss-poor forage conditions. But then you put a good forage year on it, and all of a sudden, bam, they jump right back to gain that 40 inches plus some. So they're incredible. So forage conditions absolutely can drive antler development in these gigantic swings. To where, yeah. So next year for you guys, how's your forage production look right now? How much? What does what your gram of grass look like now? Do you have a bunch of it or is it sparse?
0: Not good. Not good. Um, just yeah. You know, no no summer rains. The conditions just are not good just not 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 good so hopefully something changes and you know i can only hope that we don't have just a severe winter um yeah but yeah Yeah. i mean it's dry it's it's dry all over colorado is just bone dry so you have any any water for down in,
1: in the in the hay meadows and all that
0: or not i mean we the year before, uh, we didn't even have enough uh, water coming out of the, you know, our, our water rights that we have from the high country. The, the ditches never even ran. Water never even made it to the ranch. This year, yes, we had our full amount of water, but um, as soon as the water has to be shut off, uh, which is July 15th, uh, uh, then we uh, count on monsoon rains, and we didn't yeah. have
1: any. I didn't realize you had to shut it off that early. Ooh.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, but you know, we we shot a couple management bulls last week. We ended up shooting Hooker. Um, he his main beams were shorter. He was bigger. I think that uh, he was bigger last year. Um, you know, it was kind of bittersweet watching him get killed. But it's it's one of those things. He 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 is what he is. He scored three fifty one probably last year he was probably 360, and the year before that he was probably, you know, 345, 350. Um, And, you know, he just was one of those bulls, short main beam, long pointed looking bull, but he has short beams, so he was, you know, a perfect candidate for a bull that, you know, he's never going to blow up into a 400-inch bull with, you know, 47-inch main beams. Yeah. You know, and, and points that look long, but they look long because they're on a short beam. And then, you know, Creed was a bull that, like I said, I think he's probably close to 15 inches smaller this year, still just an incredible bull. The the interesting thing about all the bulls, and we're sending the teeth off to get aged, but um, I've got a a picture that I'm going to post of of Loppy, of Creed, of 65, and of Hooker showing their teeth, and I'm sure you'll love to see this, but they are all um, old bulls. Creed was, we think, is going to, turn out to be a very old bull, um, hooker, his teeth are even more worn than creed. So, I mean, we're, we're thinking, you know, 10 plus year old bulls. Um, yeah. so anyway, yeah, that was just my, my perception is that the antler growth is not, is, is kind of a down year. Um, maybe that's me want, you know, hoping to be optimistic and that it was just going to blow up like Arizona, but we just, we haven't seen that, uh, in our bulls at all.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is you can't do anything about the rain. You know what I mean? Environmental conditions are what they are.
0: Yeah. Uh, Another interesting thing, and then I'll let you go because I've got to run here, but uh, we shot a bull called 65. Um, He's a bull. He's actually a a 6x6, but on one side he only has about an inch and a half G6, and so we just started calling him 65. We have another bull we call 56, Um, but... In 17, he had really short fists. In 18, he had really short fists. And this year, he had really short fists. So we decided to harvest him. My question for you is um, when you see bulls with short thirds or short fists, and you see them for three years in a row, and let's say three years in a row, they have short thirds. Three years in a row, they have short fists. Either or or both. In your opinion, in antler configuration, can they grow out of that? Or is that a characteristic that will run with that bull? It's my understanding that if three years in a row a bull has short, short little dinky fifth, that's his genetic um, disposition, and he's not gonna he's you know he's not gonna grow big fifth points. I'm just curious your thought on that.
1: Yeah, and unless you can sh- unless you can point to the fact that for three years in a row you've had really crappy growing conditions. You know, then, then you, but then all of his points and uh, his whole frame should probably be a little bit suppressed. But, you know, okay, I, let me take that back. You know, maybe he's got good initial growth and then it just, you know, there's no spring growth. Yeah, I mean, let's
0: say he's got dry. good ones, twos, threes, fours, and he's got short fifths three years in a row, like yeah. 65. And then, um, you know, we have another bull that has, you know, it's one, two, three. Or, excuse me, one, two, fours, fives, and beams are good, but he's got, you know, seven inch thirds, and he's always had seven inch thirds. I find that those are bulls that, that just, that's just what they yeah. are. I mean, they, they're yeah. just not gonna, they're always gonna have short thirds. Yep. And a lot of times those bulls make it on my, you know, if they've got age and I know that they're mature hump on their back, you know, a mature bull, you know, those are bulls that go on my management list of, okay, you know, short thirds, he's out. Short fifths, he's out. I mean, in other words, those are bulls that I want to target to try and harvest. Yeah, no, if, if, if you've got several years of history with him, especially with several
1: different years of different growth uh, conditions, and his characteristics are the same every year, short thirds is a good, good one, or short fifths, you know, you, yeah, absolutely. That's just his genetic expression. And that's probably what he'll end up being. So, And then, yeah, exactly. So all the more important reason why, if all of a sudden you're out there watching, you've got at least enough acreage to where hopefully you've got some of those bulls that just live on that property, at least in the fall. I, I I tell people here with my whitetails, I don't give a crap where they spend their summer. I really don't. I just want all the whitetails, to, all those bucks to pile in in the fall and just spend the rest of their fall and winter on us. That way right we can keep them safe and we can feed you make sure they've got good optimal forage so but if you've got bulls that are habitually on that ranch during the fall and winter every single year absolutely that's where if you look at a four or five year old bull and he's just got whopper thirds and whopper fifths or and or whopper fifths you just let that boy grow you right. know what I
0: mean you just just let him go yep right yeah, and I mean, even bulls that have kind of short fronts, but they have whopper backs, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for those big backs. I'm going to let them go, too. Um, yeah. Those fifth points, you know, consistently growing three years in a row, short fifth points, they're, they're going to make it on my list pretty quick. Um, but it, it's, it's been fun over there. I'm, I'm uh, back in uh, over here at my summer place for a couple days, and then we've got a couple more management hunters coming up uh, here, so I'll be back there in a day or two. Uh, But it's been kind of fun to reflect so far on, you know, three seasons over there and just checking out different bulls. And um, it's funny to see some of the same bulls show back and have the same patterns where they show up first in a certain part of the ranch, then they end up rutting over here, you know, and they make their circle. It seems like down to the day when a bull disappears, you can go up and find him over here. Yep, there he is. He's making his circle. He's making his loop, checking for cows. Um, it's just pretty neat to kind of. You had sent me a text. Is it hard watching some of them die? Yeah, absolutely. It's you know you get you get to naming them. You get to knowing their their patterns. You get to knowing how they you know how they roll. They're aggressive or they're passive or they're you know a traveler or they stay put. um And uh, it's kind of fun though to uh really get to know them. You know really intimately. Yeah, yeah, and and what I said, you know, at least for us
1: out here, for me out here. You know, because of our river bottoms, there's so much movement. I mean, obviously, white tails and elk are different as far as their behavior or their uh, breeding um, behavior. But you know, for out here, it's such a linear corridor. I mean, they're just they're just constantly moving, so it, it almost is like a randomized experience. You don't know who's gonna. You know that they're there, um, right. but you don't who's know gonna who's show gonna. Up. Yeah, you don't know who's gonna show up in front of that hunter's stand at what point in time and what they're gonna. You know because out here i you know because we can't control all the movement i just let our hunters hunter you know harvest whatever they want we we just reduce the number of the uh, overall harvest so we always have a lot of bucks survive so we always are going to have great bucks but people can shoot whatever they want just because we want them to have a fun hunt and we know we can't manage all the deer so it is. It becomes this kind of randomized crapshoot on what deer shows up in front of what hunter, you know, in what point. So when someone shoots one, you know, I, I'm not going down and, and uh, saying, okay, you know, Dave, go climb into the stand. You're gonna you're gonna shoot, you know, the the straight eight today. You know, it we, that's not. It doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah. No, it just go climb into the stand, sit all day because this is where several mature books are going to be running through. We've got the doe group here. Let's just see what happens. And when he says, you know, somebody says, we got a buck down, it's like, okay, let's go in and see who it is. And I can't tell you how many times I show up, I'm like, well, I've never seen that buck before. So <laughs> it's, just, it's like, well, all right, there we go. Sweet. Congratulations. He's an awesome buck,
0: but I don't know who he is. Well, Chris, I I really appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, I kind of got to run. I feel sorry to cut us short, but we'll have to do it again. I want to give you a chance, and I'll link it up in the show notes, where people can uh, listen more, find out more. Um, So go ahead and tell them that, and then uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And as
1: always, anytime I I enjoy our talk. So, yeah, just Row Hunting Resources, R-O-E, Hunting resources uh wherever whether it's our website whether it's youtube whether it's instagram or facebook it's all the same so just jump on there row hunting resources and then uh yeah i'm just kicking in gear getting my white stuff going so if folks want to follow along with that then go over and follow on instagram and facebook and youtube and we'll get her rocking and rolling so
0: all right buddy, thanks so much and um be looking forward to seeing I know you've got a bunch of elk content to post and I'll be looking yeah. forward to uh seeing your whitetail stuff too. So uh stay in touch and uh thanks for thanks for uh sharing with us here. Always be safe. All right buddy. Take care.